So this bolt of lightning shot across the universe and inspired me with the idea that we have to do a podcast. And that's what I wanted to tell you. We should do a podcast. Okay, bye. Okay, um, all right, so I'm going to hit... Record a Maru. Record a Maru. Here we go. All right. Welcome to Feature Crate, <gasps> colon. Built in microwave, semicolon. So we have a very interesting topic today. But first, we have a guest of the realm, Lauren. Hello. Yeah, fantastic. Welcome and to the realm. Yeah, so Ned and I'm Meg, excited to be here. Yay! Yay! I'm, we're excited to have you. Um, so if this is the first podcast you're ever listening to, um, good for you. You probably... I, if you, I don't even know how you got here. We know there are people out here that <laughs> listen to this podcast. Um, anyway, Ned and Meg, Feature Creep, Built-In Microwave. Yeah. Ostensibly, it's about art and design. But really. Today, apparently. It's about when double fisting isn't working anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so here we are. <laughs> so how did we come up? Well, you sent this. This was one of your topics. Um, right. So. Do I should uh, do the whole backstory or like because maybe we go back or just to the point where we talk a little bit about how our our process our design mm-hmm. process of coming up with topic titles right um so you and I have a running stream of consciousness text chain yes from three years or more since we've met each other basically yes um and we tag in their FCBM so that we can be like if we have a topic idea we'll just put it in there and then you blasted this at me the other day and I was like that sounds like a great topic idea yeah so the I and then we dragged <coughs> Lauren into this whole thing we talked Lauren into this yeah yes. um sitting on the table with us right now is a giant black rubber dildo that I got from Amazon and I initially ordered it to be a satirical joke about um, power dynamics and I was going to wear it on my hip in a little cap gun holster Uh except that the particular item that I bought in th- no way would fit into a holster. Yeah, I think the key terms about that is the little cap gun holster is not, not sufficient. Sufficient. And to be clear, this is actually probably a silicone dildo. And what most people you don't realize you're is right. that silicone is actually quite heavy, considering it's this is very gotta dense. be at least yes. two pounds. It's like two or two and a half pounds. I think yeah. because I, I ordered it and I was initially thinking that I would just, you know, like whip it out like you'd whip out a cap gun or mm-hmm. I mean uh, like an old timey western shootout or your penis. in the street or your penis, or your penis. right? Mm-hmm. And so those um, are the same thing. <clears throat> those are they the same are. thing. Yeah. They're totally the same. So uh, I know that was my goal. But when it arrived, I I'm an expert. I picked up the package off the porch, <laughs> and it was like way heavier than I thought it was supposed to be. Uh-huh. So I was like, "What the hell?" And I opened it up, and this thing is just enormous. Like it's, it's not anatomically correct. Like it doesn't look. It is not realistic. No, no, no. no. Um, which was kind of the point. Mm-hmm. I wanted it to be very obviously a, a joke. <clears throat> but um, it's just, it's like, it's huge. It's it's crazy huge. It's at least a foot tall. Yeah. Um, or long. The, the girth is the real. The girth is the real, th- the real thing. Like, I, I would say that this is almost five inches across yeah yeah it's probably five inches in diameter i mean it's like almost inhumanly large mm-hmm. like as in like no it is inhumanly large. it is in, it's not almost <laughs> it's, it almost, is. it's yeah. definitely, it's inhumanly. definitely inhumanly large it it's more on the scale of like a horse cock 
Yes. Yeah. So, uh, but not designed to look like one in any way. I was going to say, well, technically horse cocks are shaped differently. They are shaped differently. (laughs) Right. So it's like, you're like, it's a human shape-ish. It's humanoid in shape. It's got these teeny tiny little balls at the bottom, which I find hilarious because they don't, like, why? I thought maybe that was like, so they're flare, it takes the place of the flare base. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I, after I ordered this thing, and was shocked. I went and looked up what the delivery weight was, and it was like two and a half pounds or something like that. And um, then I then I got wise and started to read some of the comments and reviews, uh-huh. and I was like, <laughs> "Holy shit!" Like if I had just scrolled down, I could have avoided all of this. Uh-huh. But I didn't bother to look at the reviews because I wasn't actually interested in using it for the purpose intended. Uh, anyway, it's ginormous, and I remember somebody asking me like, "What would you even?" like who's the target audience for this <laughs> right, right and i said i don't know maybe people when double fisting isn't working anymore right and then you text and then i texted and so that and so here we are actually yeah. i'm i it's this is the first time those of you listening that i've heard this story and i'm fascinated that there is actual a sexual connotation to the title because I really expected it to be one of those things where you like say it and it comes out and you're like, whoa, I didn't really, we weren't talking about anything sexual, but now. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like I'm holding two glasses of yeah. wine at once. Double yeah, fisting is isn't it. working anymore. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. yeah so I was trying to think of all the ways that like right. we would use this in a non-sexual connotation uh-huh. and then to have it be like, no, no, it actually is uh-huh. it's exactly what it sounds like. Yep. Yes. It's like, yeah. Oh, very literal today. Yeah. That's so funny. Uh-huh. Yep. How charming. I know. Well, and so some backstory to that, because we had already primed you with a long list of possible podcast to- topics yes. and all of them were like, like hyperbole and, and also like play on words or something that's like misleading. Yes. Um, like our most famous one, uh, or the one that seems to be the most popular in the podcast is right. the one titled somebody's going to die, which we followed up with, uh, I forget. We told or no? There's a second one. I think it's just somebody's gonna die too. Yeah, um, I think so. We didn't so. get very creative with the title on that, but no, because the title attracted so much attention in the first place. Yeah, I think that was the point, right? And I so, was told that these are both about the trolley problem. Yeah. Yes. So this is about that sort of hypothetical trolley problem. Um, and you, listeners are welcome to go find those on the on the list of somebody's yes. gonna die. It'll come up right away. It's our most popular podcast for clickbait. Um, but not a lot of people listen to it. Um, they usually get in about 10 seconds and they're like, this isn't what I was interested in. This isn't in. a murder mystery podcast. Right. They come, but they don't stay. They come, this they is a true stay. crime yes. serial killer docuseries. <laughs> right. Oh, did I mention that the name of the oh, yes. giant oh, dildo? No, no. So, well, the name now is Buyer's Remorse, obviously. Mm-hmm. And so Buyer's Remorse just like lives in my house with me. He floats around. He shows up in strange places. Yeah. You know, as one does. Suns himself in the window from he time does. to time. He suns his- yeah. So my both of my parents have seen this in my windowsill because I had to wash it off in the sink because it was sitting in front of an air vent on a bookshelf and it got all dusty and gross. Mm-hmm. I will say it's of the size where like it's not so large that you're like, well, that's not physically possible right. for sure. Like, oh, yes. You no, realize it's probably not physically possible, but for you, a lot of people, but it, it, it raises a lot of possible. Yes. Yes. Right. Yes. You, it raises a lot of like when I look at it, I'm like, wait a minute. I mean, I don't because I know you so well, but I can imagine right. seeing that in somebody else's house and like really second guessing a lot of what I think about how physics works. Like a chihuahua <laughs> with a Rottweiler. Yes, 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 exactly. Yeah. yeah, right. It is physically possible. Um, I do for, know people who have functional versions of that. Like, yes. But they are oh, made sure. much better. And yes. Right, right. Different. Yes. Yeah. Like this is absurd. And clearly 
cheap. Well, like, yes, yes, I think it costs Somebody, less than ten dollars, which right. is why I was like, perfect. This is perfect. It so, doesn't look realistic, and it's less than ten bucks. How big can it be? Yeah. Great. So, to, for that to be physically possible, someone would need to put in time and effort, yep. and like practice, practice, practice exactly. Yes, and so, like yes. at the point that you are, you know, de- dedicated or have a you know an interest or a hobby, a drive, like, a drive, right? Yep. Exactly. Right. Like most people at that point are going to invest. Like you, you care about it, so like you're going to invest in what you're using. Like right, right, right. Clearly, looks like something. If that you're going to spend like that much close, much close time with a physical object like that, you yeah. might want to. Uh, now I'm thinking yeah. of kind of like like a Tanya Harding of dildos story, oh. where she's like she doesn't she can't afford the good gear like Nancy <laughs> Kerrigan can, uh-huh. and like so she's just got to make it on sheer talent <laughs> with, with cheap gear, you know. And yes. then it all ends with somebody getting kneecapped. <laughs> It's funny and sad at the same time. I know, right? <laughs> Just like the Tanya Harding story. <laughs> right. She was so talented. I think her whole downfall was having a really dumb husband. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I, I feel was like that's ninety percent of everyone's downfall. Oh, yeah. Okay. I oh, was going to say, w- wasn't her downfall just being a poor person in the United <laughs> there's, States? There's well, that. There, yes. it started yeah. there. Yes, I, I hear that leads to having dumb husbands. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, I can vouch for that. Yeah. Making questionable choices. Yeah, making questions. Yes, choices. very yeah. questionable. All, all of the ones up to the age of thirty-five. Yeah. <laughs> That's where I had a, a drop off in a good way. Nice. I feel like you could also say that's when I stopped being a poor person. <laughs> that's when I stopped. There's yeah. that too. It's that's a whole man. Being poor is tough in so many ways. Yeah. It's oh, stacked yeah. against I, me. My, yeah. The taxes that I filed for 2020 were zero. <laughs> Just all zeros. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I was irritated. Like, if it's going to be all zeros, why do I even have to do any of this? Right. I Technically, you don't. I think you can not file if you made under fifteen thousand or something. It's something like that. Yeah, there is a oh. number. Yeah, there is a number under. I, which. I mean, the problem is, is then when you go file again, you kind of have to like. They're going to be like, well, then what did happen? So it's just better right. to file because then you have a nice track record with the IRS. Yes. Um, but no, well, I've got it all. You wouldn't like if if they came to audit you and then you're like, well, I didn't make over fifteen thousand dollars or whatever the number is, then yeah. they'd be like, great, okay, no problem. Um, um, I yeah. have filed every year because my student loans are dependent on my. Income. Yeah, there's yeah, lots exactly. of other there's things. Other yeah, yeah. yeah, but um, legally speaking, I think there's some allowance for that. So yeah, because you know we take care of the our less financially able <laughs> people in this country. Oh, I'm sorry. I'll let you finish. Oh, that's no, right. Yeah. I mean, as a middle-aged white man, like I know, I right, know how yeah. it works. Yeah. Sorry. I didn't want to step on your joke there. Yeah, please, please, please continue your <laughs> highly humorous statement. Um, no, it's better when you do, because then it's more obvious that it's a joke. I feel like sometimes <laughs> I say things and then later I'm like, they didn't know I was no. kidding. Yeah. I think a lot of people don't know when we're kidding. But like, so just in a general rule is that Ned and I are making fun of everything. Yes. That we can. I, did I mention one of the podcast titles was Long Live Vicious Mockery? <laughs> you did not. Okay. That was I, one. I, I think I was about to get to that. Oh, then we, then we stumbled across. Wait, um, is that a, a, a. To be done. Okay. To be done. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, so we're just making fun of like everything because I just find the experience of being ourselves, uh, ourselves yeah. and uh, like pretty delightful. And I find the experience of most other people to be really horrible. And so that like the differential, it makes me a little haywire. And I just 
fall straight for absurdity. Like I just head straight to absurdity to feel better. Yes. Is this where I circle back and say like proof that at 35 you stop being poor? Yeah. Like that, that <laughs> the ability to be like, generally, I really like my circumstances. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's about right. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, listeners would have no way of knowing, but uh, I'm a sexuality educator. And so I feel like that is often a lesson I really wish that I could share, particularly with young people, although like everybody has a journey of their sexuality. And so one of them being like, there is a point where you will probably find you yourself and your experience pretty enjoyable, but almost nobody gets that right away. And the question is, how long is it going to take? And like, how do I both like normalize that for you, but also kind of prepare you for it? Right. Right. Yeah. 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 This is going to be a little uncomfortable from time to time. Yeah. Yeah. And it'll get better, but also like, don't have your hopes too high. Right. (laughs) Like, like be prepared for it to start at a place from where it can get better. If that Mm -hmm. makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. There was like a period of, I don't know, like three and a half years where I didn't sleep with anybody because I would, if I had the emotional energy to do the labor of talking to someone I didn't already know. Mm-hmm. In, Which is not insignificant. Right. In very short order, whoever I was talking to would say something that I found so egregious that I was like, this is just a, this is a, it's over before it even started. Um, so there were a lot of times that I would try and like maybe get up the gumption to like go on a date with somebody, but it was like, uh, there's no way I'm going to make it through this dinner to the point where I can like take you back to my house and sleep with you because I can't stand the sounds coming out of your face. (laughs) And if you would just be quiet, this might get us there, but because it's just the two of us, you're just going to keep talking and there's no way I'm having sex with you now. I feel like this echoes your point of like, you like your experience, but find pretty much everyone else horrible. Yeah. Like it's pretty, and like, so I, I don't go out on dates with people to set them up to fail and then be like, that was great. I'm never talking to you again. Like I, I try to be really diplomatic about it. And that's honestly the only reason that I kind of like would decide rather than sleeping with these people and then never seeing them again, just to avoid the whole Mm -hmm. deal. Like, because now I'm just putting even more time in towards something that's just going to, go nowhere anyway so it's a waste of time everyone's time and it's whatever but yeah that's i had a really hard time and then um you know i just realized well i'll just buy a lot of really interesting toys and Mm -hmm. that'll get me through until i can like actually stand to be in the presence of another human being who's expressing their thoughts without wanting to pass out right well for me like i i very much call myself a sexuality educator. Uh, I do want to work primarily with young people. And my biggest criticism of, of the system that exists in most of the U.S. is that most kids get sex education, not sexuality education. Yeah, that's a big distinction. Yeah. And it's, a, it's a very big distinction. And for me, one of the, the important pieces is that sex education is primarily teaching people about one aspect of your possible relationships with other people. Whereas sexuality at its core, I think, is about your relationship with yourself. Yeah. And it seems pretty like it basically seems to me like putting the cart before the horse to teach people about (laughs) one aspect of your relationships with other people without ever having taught you about your relationship with yourself. And so I feel like your story totally makes that point that like everybody has sexuality. (laughs) And often if that's not like kind of 
that that drives then your relationships with other people. Right. Mm-hmm. That's so insightful. That's so insightful. Like I think. All right, I can go now, right? Yep, yeah, you're, you're done. done. <laughs> Thank you. Call that was it. great. Yeah, yeah, that was great. And um, that's a wrap. <laughs> <laughs> that's our shortest podcast ever. <laughs> right. <laughs> Wow. Amazing. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I think like all of the sex ed that I got, mine was really twisted because my mom is a nurse. And so I got this like hyper weird clinical, Mm -hmm. like biological explanation of sex when I was like a little kid, Mm -hmm. Um, which I promptly like told all of my neighbor kids about. Like you guys, I have learned the darndest thing mm-hmm. <laughs> let me tell you let me tell you but we have to go body. we have to go behind the garage yes because i'm pretty sure my mom doesn't want me telling anybody any of this yeah right. so we, i gathered this like whole group of kids i was like five yeah gathered this whole group of kids behind the garage and i'm like okay so here's the deal mm-hmm. and i here's ex- the deal. i explained here's sort the of the mechanics of like penis and vagina sex that makes babies uh-huh and i was like and you know that's what happens and the kids are like well what so what happens when the penis is in there though that's a co- that's actually a super common question that kids have yep and i was like well i'm pretty sure he pees in her <laughs> yep <laughs> also super common uh, yes which was definitely not something my nurse mother told me right uh-huh. like i don't think she really got that in detail about it mm-hmm. but it was just kind of like it goes in and then you know like later there's a kid mm-hmm. and you're like so it goes in and then there's a kid I, that doesn't make sense this t- right and you're like i feel like you're not telling me something but yeah. i don't know how to express that as a five-year-old right I, that was like one of my biggest frustrations as a little kid was just being being held accountable to be an adult but not having enough context to actually express any of the questions you're actually having. I remember always being worried about the things I didn't know I didn't know because yeah. it was yes! totally obvious that there were tons of things I didn't know. Wait, hang on a second. Did that go away for you? <laughs> That's a good point. I yeah, want, you're right. Actually, I have, no, I have some anxiety about this. Actually, you're <laughs> right. Okay. Was, thank you. Right. It was me pretending to be normal I under, when but I, I understand. said that. You get, okay, <laughs> keep going. Sorry. No, no, this, no. Yeah. Actually, it's 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 a great point and very accurate. Yeah. <laughs> I and, got a degree in it. Yeah, <laughs> right? I was going to say, I believe all of us have some experience with this. Yes, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, but then also like, yeah, as a kid, you don't, you know, there's always stuff you don't know, but you don't always know where it is. So right, it's like, right. you're like, you know, moving through a room in the dark and yes. it's like, well, I know there's walls here somewhere, but I don't actually know where they are until I run into them. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like people under, maybe it's because I love kid logic. Like, I love kid jokes, particularly yes. jokes that kids write themselves, but mm-hmm. also yeah. jokes for kids. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Kids uh, write insane jokes. I love it. I it's love such it. a good insight to how they're thinking and feeling yeah. about things because mm-hmm. it really betrays or in a delightful way, like not betrayal implies some negative connotation, but it, <laughs> yes. it, it reveals, reveals their thought process and it illuminates their thought process in such a really vivid way that's really like hilarious and awesome plus if you know kids there's also a transition point where you can often see that they are writing quote unquote i'm using air quotes here writing jokes uh performing jokes really that are for themselves because they genuinely think it is funny yes when and when they are trying to create jokes that they think that they think they're supposed to say they often don't even always know what it they don't have yet have a concept of being funny to other people, but they mm-hmm. just know like other people perform jokes. So like they'll yeah. pick up on some of the patterns or the common themes, but like the joke doesn't make any s- and Sometimes they don't make any sense and it's funny to the kid. Those right. are great, but sometimes it doesn't make any sense. And it's like, yeah, it's like, you know, somebody trying to 
speak in a language they don't understand and right, stringing right. together words. You're like, I know there's this thing called humor, but I don't really understand how it right. works. Like for you're other emulating the, yes. the the feeling and the pattern of it without fully understanding the nuance oh, yet. Or yeah. yeah. I mean, let's face it, a lot of young people's experiences with sexuality are kinda like that too. Yes, like emulating yeah. these patterns like without yeah. really right. having a sense of their context. Yeah. yeah. Because okay, so that yeah, so you know, your mom tells you when you're five, like it goes in and then a baby comes out and you're like, I don't know. And then some version of your sex education all through school, whatever's provided to you, is some just some version of that. Mm-hmm. It's like weird, like completely biological mechanical and clinical mm-hmm. it's like it totally like if there's anything unsexier than the sex ed that you get yes i don't, and it's I don't designed know what. to be that way yeah like, because we're afraid of sex like we can't sh- expose kids to sex anything that is sexy right right which there is some logic behind i'm not saying that like we should sexualize little children. That's not my point at all. But we are sort of like there is this real fear of talking about pleasure of any sort mm-hmm. and even acknowledging that pleasure exists, even though we all know that little kids, they learn that pretty early on. Oh, of yeah. Like what yeah. feels good on my body and what doesn't, like yeah. even in non-sexual ways. Right. And so like, but then we have to like remove that, which is I think part of the clinicalization you're talking about. Yeah, I like, think that makes sense. Right, but then the 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 trade off is that I think often for kids, sex doesn't make sense. Yeah, right. Because it's like the mechanic. Like what I was saying you're is like the context. Right. Yeah. Exactly. They're missing the context. Yeah, my friend's daughter is like ten or eleven, and they were having some discussion about sex the other day, and like Sarah was explaining it to her. And then her daughter's like, okay, but like, but why does anybody do this? Yeah. And Sarah's like, oh, Mm -hmm. because it feels great. Mm -hmm. And and the kid was like, well, I'm never going to do it because this sounds stupid. (laughs) I mean, and I was going to say, that's the the other piece to try to normalize is like, because for some people it feels really great. Yeah. Yeah, Because like you kind of want to meet kids where they're at and it's like, it's totally cool that you think you're never going to want to do this. Right. But this is something that you need to know about because it's something that it, many people experience. Like you don't have to like argue with them. Like, no, oh, trust me, you're going to want to like, right. There's yeah. no point in that. Yeah. That's yeah. gross. Like right. yeah. and, and they may not like some people's sexuality and their, their relationship with themselves mm-hmm. includes not wanting to have relationships with other people Yes, right. or not wanting to touch themselves in certain ways. Like yep. it, it it's totally self-defined and so like yeah that piece of like some people like this but like hey sure you don't like think it sounds fun great don't do it right (laughs) now you know now somebody now somebody like uh sends you signals that they want to do that sort of thing you can be like "Mm, i don't want that doesn't sound fun to me (laughs) like now you can be like self-actualized or have agency yes i love agency Mm -hmm. yeah Agency is good. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, rem- I think it's, a, it's, what are your opinions on splitting up children? Like boys go in one room, girls go in another for their sex ed. I think that for the most part, if you look at it on a big scale, it's a terrible idea. Mm-hmm. As with anything in education, you always have this balancing act of like, what's great in theory and what's great in practice. Yeah. Sure. Because yeah. the practice is like, for some kids, it does make them very uncomfortable mm-hmm. or they may be more comfortable to have a single gender space. Um, they, they may feel like there's questions they can ask 
or just like they may feel calmer in their body. And so that makes them better able to learn, um, takes in, in information. So like that's a reality that I don't want to, uh, discount. And I, I love to talk to kids actually about their, if they're willing to talk to me, like their experiences in either my classes or other people's classes. And I've heard that from a number of young people. Um, but from young people in those very same classes, I've heard incredibly insightful things, which are like, well, if you split people up, like, then you teach us that we don't need to know about anybody else's body. And I'm like, right. Yeah. Right. Thank you. 11 year old. You're <laughs> right? absolutely most adults haven't figured this out. That's great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, and then also kids will say like, but shouldn't like, aren't you then hiding information about me? Right. Like from me, like, isn't, yeah. isn't this information about the world that I have a right to know that yeah. you're keeping from me? And I was like, yes, that is also true. Mm-hmm. And, and then uh, I've heard this from young people, but uh, not everybody has a gender too, like, or doesn't know what their gender is or their gender is transitioning. And so like it could further make people feel alienated mm-hmm. yeah. or that sex ed isn't for them. Like, right. well, this is a class for women and I've been put in it, but I don't feel like I'm a woman. So this class must not be for me. Yeah. And, you know, unfortunately people who are already marginalized in any way are going to have like there's evidence on this they're generally going to have worse health outcomes yeah. worse sexual health outcomes um and less access to care and 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 accurate information and mm-hmm. so like you you really don't want to take that information away from somebody that's that much more likely to need it right so yeah so it's a tricky thing but yeah if you can try to make kids feel safe and comfortable i think it's better to do everybody in the same room right um I had this is kind of a little tangential, but speaking of gender, um, I, I, I follow on Twitter, like a lot of, um, like gender related topics and like try to like keep up with it. And, you know, I find it both interesting and edifying. And, um, you know, when we first kind of as a society or as a culture, we were kind of starting to try to normalize, um, like discussing pronouns and advocating for like being like, you know, just put your pronouns out there so it's normal for people to talk about what they like to be referred to as. Mm-hmm. I um, didn't do that when we started. Oh, well, I do try to do that. Yeah. And it, well, it was something I was like, I wanted to know more about. And um, the thing that really like connected for me, like this, I remember, I don't remember the thread. I was just reading through some discussion or something and people were talking about um, what they liked about their pronouns or what, you know, what they, and there was discussion about like not having the right kinds of pronouns in the mm-hmm. English language and things like that. And um, this one person said they were, they, it started to get into the realm of the discussion about perception. And a lot of um, people were saying, really, I just don't want to be perceived. Mm-hmm. Don't perceive me. Yep. Yeah. And that really like, I like connected with me because um, although in my case, like gender is not really, I, I don't, like I I've, I'm fairly gender normative in the sense that like society is sure. it, I'm comfortable enough with that for whatever reason. Um, and, but in other ways I really, I'm like, yeah, like I don't want you holding on to ideas about who I am. Yeah. Like don't perceive me. Yep. Stop. Like, especially like with my parents and people I'm close with where I'm like, mm. stop fucking holding me in a box about shit. Yep. It makes my life fucking miserable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And people think like, Oh, well, what do you care what I think? Like, that's a classic response. Like, what do you care what other people think? And the reality (sighs) is, like, 
it doesn't matter. Like the reality is, is if other people think about you a certain way, that affects your life, whether you like it or not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And to say, to discount that and be like, you can't, like what you think about me doesn't matter is a way to empower yourself and try to get through those barriers. But sure. they are barriers. And just the fact yep. that I have to actively not care what the fuck you think about me just like betrays that takes the whole energy. problem. Yeah. Like if so, my job now is to be like, I don't I have to ignore everyone around me all the time because they're perceiving me the wrong way. And I can't communicate to that to them because they're entitled to think about me, whatever they want. That sounds Um, exhausting. Yeah, it's fucking exhausting. And so there's and obviously like there's some nuance and balance there where it's like, well, where are those boundaries? Like we do live in, you know, the closer we are to each other, the more we need better fences. Sure. Or, Or or. or I need a moat, social and a turret, social. Like we need dialogue and ways to <laughs> have good social oil. interaction to communicate with each other to make people happier. Well, here's a question. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't have a solution to this. No, it's no. just that thing like really stuck. With me. So <laughs> here's a question for you, Meg. Would you need a turret and a moat and boiling oil if your experiences with other people weren't so hurtful? Um, I guess that's kind of difficult to answer for two reasons. First, if if the experiences that I've had that were hurtful that other people directed towards me had not been so hurtful, that would make a big difference. But there's also just my observation of like people in general and the choices that people make and the characteristics of the relationships between people that I find so unacceptable. That seems to be like Ned's point, though. Like, if other people weren't constantly perceiving you and putting you in a box or interacting with you based on their perception of you, oh, um, that, I th- that would make those interactions. It would make the interactions better, less awful. I think yeah. the problem is that you eventually you run into, like, I I just have issues with the way other people live their lives. Sure. And so when you butt up against those things, like I avoid people in general because I just don't want, I, there's just so many things I don't want to know about people. I want to like them. Mm-hmm. And so I, the less I know, uh, the more uh-huh. I probably like you because on a long enough timeline, everybody's a, di- a big disappointment Right. because we don't make all of our choices for other people. We make them for ourselves, Sure. which is like, and uh, so that's just the way it is. Right. Which, so I just arrange my life so that I have, I minimize the types of interactions that I have with people in general. Like I keep them to a minimum. Sure. And then I also like, I'm also very conscious of like the tone and temperament of the the things that happen when they do Mm -hmm. so for me it's like there's two layers to it okay there's the layer of like god i just humanity is just fucking terrible and like there's all this like what seem like obvious solutions to me or just subtractive solutions like you could just stop being such a colossal asshole and we could solve some of these problems it just but like a lot of the problems that i'm upset about would require colossal assholes deciding on their own not to be that way anymore especially difficult when like everything reinforces that power structure that they've built for themselves so like there's that conversation um so uh like I I find it difficult to be a human in the world among other humans. Yeah. And that to me is the crux of identity. The mm-hmm. very concept of identity is like and this is a thing I wish I could I've built it into curriculums I've made for people for like fifth graders, but every adult I've ever told it to is like why didn't someone tell me this? And that's that identity is comprised of a uh, social identity 
and a personal identity. And I usually, with young people, I use the definition that I, identity is the story about you. Mm-hmm. And social identity is the story about you that other people tell to you or mm-hmm. tell to themselves about you. And personal identity is, or self-identity is the story you tell to yourself about you. Mm-hmm. And that in the grand scheme of things, <laughs> the story you tell to yourself about you is way way more important yeah yeah um and there is this element of like part of the the pain of the human condition is the stories other people tell about you that you kind of have no control over Mm -hmm. right right um yeah and we start off i like to start off with an exercise where i have them uh on a piece of paper write down one thing that somebody could know about them if they looked at them or two things, it depends how much time you have. But then yeah. the other side of the piece of same piece of paper, write down something that somebody couldn't know about you from looking at you. So like the first side yeah. would be, I wear glasses. But the second side could be, I have a brother. Right. Yeah. Like right. that's the thing kids would do. But like when you do it with adults, you get super interesting <laughs> yes. answers. Like yeah. people like, especially with like, uh, a degree of uh, element of uh, an anonymity, people mm-hmm. will like reveal tons of interesting things about themselves. And it's like, right. <sighs> Our, the story we tell about ourselves, our identity, our inner lives, like often we think of it as very defining. Mm-hmm. These are this is part of who I am as a unique creature in this world. You know, is this private thing? Yeah. So, I think everybody has an identity, and it's very important to talk about gender identity as a concept, mm-hmm. um, to normalize it, to yeah. put it out there, but. I often think that we do a disservice by not talking about the larger piece of identity that gender identity is a part of. Right, right. You know, because yeah. everybody has identity. And almost everybody yeah. has an experience, a painful experience of feeling missed. And usually yeah. that comes from somebody. And like that's where your point was about your family or people yeah. you know you know well. That's why it's the hardest when they make assumptions about you is because like usually the people we we want to we want to be seen by the people that we want to have care about us because we want them to care about yes. us for who yeah. we really are right. so right. Like, yeah yeah um yeah and that's uh it's really rough like i i definitely feel for people who are not um at least relatively comfortable with the boxes that they're given because mm-hmm. it's really difficult to get out of it. There's some like, yeah. I think we've talked about this before. I've often yeah. described um, the culture of like speaking of masculinity and the culture of masculinity. It's, it's a weird culture where I think for the most part, most men um, have this experience where it's like, like they, they'll be like, okay, like there's your box and you'll be in it. And mm-hmm. as long as you're in the box, we're totally cool. If you get out of it, I'll kill you. Yes. It's cool. Right. Like yes. you get it. It's if I get out of my box, you'll thing kill in me. Masculinity. Like, I get it. And, and the stakes are so high. Cause it's like so many men I know it's like, they seem so calm and cool about shit. And it's like, I really, I'm like, you would try to kill me if we- I were gay or I was like not in the box that you've ascribed to me. Like you're, you're so violently mm-hmm. bent on like murdering me and everything I stand for if I'm not in line with what this is. Mm-hmm. There's an exercise that we call the man box and yeah. I've, I've used it in other presentations. Mostly I use it with, with teenagers or adults, but mm-hmm. the man box is basically like we, we, I like draw a box or we have a picture of a box and I was like, okay, this is the man box. Yeah. I want you guys to list off all the things that are inside of the man box. And that right. is all I have to say. And I have never had a group of people that weren't able to be like strong, you know, yeah, you know, yeah, sure. handsome or 
uh-huh. you know, whatever. Right. Uh, tough. Like, they, people know what is inside Guns. the man box. Oh, wait, Gun. sorry. What? Yeah. Like, no, people, all the things you can yeah. imagine. Everybody yeah, gets sure. that concept. Right. And then you say, like, okay, what are all the things that are outside the box? And everybody's got a list of things like that. Right, right. You know, feminine, whatever. And then you ask, and how, what happens if you step, if you go from inside the box to outside the box? What happens if you cross this line? So now we've defined a concept of inside and outside that implies a line. And then we say, what happens if you cross that line? Uh And they are almost always violent terms. Yep. Really? I mean, sometimes it's like made fun of, but like, or shamed. But like, I would argue that from a human development standpoint, shaming is actually totally violent. Like if you think of humans as buying like through almost all of human history surviving and like only being able to survive because they are in community, like Mm -hmm. humans are not meant to survive alone and often do not. So if you've been shamed or, you know, kicked out of the group, right. If you no longer have a group, it is mostly a death sentence. And I think our brains often process it that way. Like, Oh God, I'm going to die. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, I would argue that that, like, made fun of or shamed is actually pretty violent. Yeah. That's really fascinating. Like, I've never thought about that before, but I completely agree with you. You guys, we're doing such good work right now. You guys, we are doing such good work. We are so lucky. Wait, wait, can I add? You guys, we're such good white people. (laughs) Because I do feel the need to name that we are all white. And this process of like identity in a box and what you can get away from, Mm -hmm. like, like I can intellectually understand race, but like I am the member of the neutral race, the normal race. Like Mm -hmm. anybody who's not white is by definition, not normal. Yeah. Yeah. That's so fucked up. Yeah. And I can't, I can't really speak to that. I mean, I have like anecdotes of growing up. I grew up in a very like small white community in San Diego. And, um, and I didn't like, I didn't think of myself as racist. Um, Oh yeah. And because bad people are racist and and you're not a bad person. Right. But it's, this is like the kind of childlike logic because I was young when I was growing up. Like I was very young. I was young when I was growing up. I want to hear what you have to say. And so I was, I thought that Mexicans were dirty Mm -hmm. literally. Yep. That's, I didn't know. I like, and I always, it always like bugged me. I was like, like, so do they not, like, they don't have showers? Like, mm-hmm. this is a tragedy. Like, what's going on? I don't this understand. This is a tragedy. Like, right. And why aren't we helping? The, yes, like, there's a I solution don't get this. to this. Like, why, right. why, and why is it bad to be dirty? I love playing in the mud. Like, uh-huh. and, and then as I got older, I, I, you know, intellectually realized I, I, I never made the connection. Like, I was just like, as I got older, I was like, okay, well, that's not something I'm carrying around consciously anymore. And then at some point, when I was like maybe 16 or 17, I had that strong memory of remembering mm-hmm. that and just thinking, Jesus, like, what the fuck? Like, clearly, yeah. like, I had plenty of, I mean, in San Diego, it's, you know, yeah. a ton of Mexican community, like, community members and people who live there and people who've lived there longer than my family has. That's oh, for sure. Yeah. And, you know, across the border, et cetera. Um, and I like to think generally not a problem for mm-hmm. me. Um, but, um, yeah, it was such a, like, an eye opener because I was like, fuck, I'd just been like, like just took that on board because I don't know any better. And they just like, yeah, you know, dirty Mexicans. Well, what do you mean? Like, and then the yeah. other similar experience I had was when I was living in New Jersey and my girlfriend and I were talking to some sort of acquaintances of ours or something. And, um, and we were talking about where we were, we just kind of moved there and we were looking for a place to live and we were talking about it. And, um, there was this neighborhood that we, we really liked. And, um, and, 
the girlfriend of the guy that I knew was like, oh, that neighborhood's really dark. And it was a quick comment and more dialogue happened. Mm -hmm. And it just kind of went in my brain. And I was like, like in my mind, I'm envisioning like there's a lot of trees, like somehow there's not a lot of street lights. Yeah, street lights. I'm like, I couldn't. And then later I, you know, was talking to my girlfriend. I was like, I this she made this comment. I just don't understand what it means. And she explained it to me. And I was like, oh, oh. Mm-hmm. What? What? I because it was a really cool neighborhood. It was like in a good place where we wanted to be, and like rent was affordable, and like people seemed friendly. I was mm-hmm. like, this looks great. Um, anyway, but yeah. So that kind of that perception, and like, and that's where I'm like, words matter, and what oh, you yeah. think about other people. Fuck you for saying don't care what other people think. It matters. Yes, like yeah. when you like, commented on that, I was like, what kind of sociopath would say that? Like, yeah. because if you when you do an identity presentation, like. Like if you ask somebody like what is a painful experience where somebody made an assumption about you that wasn't true, everybody has an experience of that. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. everybody. So it's like if you know that you can be hurt by what other people think of you, like why would you say that? I happen to if that's you, a rhetorical yeah. question. The answer is because like you don't have an I think the answer is because you have no other way to deal with the pain right. of that. Sure. Like that is so without outside of your control, the easiest or best way to deal with the pain that you have available is to convince yourself that it doesn't hurt. Right. (laughs) And so then you're like, well, then it doesn't matter. Right. Right. Yeah. Interestingly, there's like, I think I have a two tiered like thought about what other people think of me in that. How, what other people think of me rarely affects how I think about myself. Sure. It, I'm open to it, mm-hmm. but if some, like, you know, I'm not going to let it, nobody knows as much about me as I know about myself. And sure. I'm a very examined, self-examined person. Like I think, I think I, all I do is think, I think all day long. I think about a lot of stuff. I think about my relationship to those things. I think about my relationship to myself. I think about, and so I, and all of the, all of the things that I do, I try to have, some kind of a justification for sure. so I lead an examined life. I, I know mm-hmm. why I'm doing what I'm doing for what purpose most of the time. Not always. Has that always been the case? Or do you think you built a set of skills that allowed you to more or less arrive at that? I think that in the first maybe 15 years of my life, the dissonance and the distortion that I felt in terms of there's like a differential between how I see the world and how I'm told I'm supposed to experience it. Mm-hmm. And you've been aware of that your whole life. Painfully. Yeah. And so sometime, sometime around when I like junior high or high school, I started really like getting a lot, having a lot of angst over this like dissonance. And so I, I undertook a series of what I later would recognize as like philosophical endeavors to determine what I thought was true like i got down to whatever it's like the the cartesian like method of like stripping everything down to like an essential truth that you're willing to accept and building everything back up from that and so that's what i've been doing since i was like 15 and um and that's why i ended up in school for a degree in philosophy at 30 because it's like well where else do you go with that i realized that by that time i'm never going to stop processing like this i mean you could become a life coach I've thought about it. I've thought about it. And all of my advice will boil down to 
Well, I think that's a question you're going to have to ask yourself. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be $250. Thank right. you. I mean, I do myself? have friends oh. who are life coaches, so I guess <laughs> I'm not trying to make it's, fun of them. Well, it's, maybe I am. It's, it's all right. Okay. Yeah. 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 So I thought Understood. about like, you know, yeah. I think about like, okay, um, as long as my, as long as my justifications internally are coherent and I'm not wreaking havoc on every, anybody else, then I, I think I'm doing pretty okay. Yeah. Um, but the other tier to this is that I recognize that not caring about what people think often will limit you to only knowing what you can know about yourself through your own experience. And that's only part of the story. Mm-hmm. And so you yeah. don't want to completely discount what other people have to say. But if somebody says something to me that doesn't match up with what I think, I'll look at it and I'll examine the relationship between what I think and what they think and see like what I'm always trying to do is get at the best possible outcome or the best possible result. Right. I want to know more. Sure. Mm -hmm. I want to understand more. I want to see more connections. And so I'll take information in, but I don't feel the need to internalize everything. Sure. I feel around the edges. I see what I think about it. And if it's something that I reject, I just reject it. And it's like, I don't care. I do care what people think about me insofar as that information may be valuable to me and expedient to me and it may help me move through the world better and yeah. it may help me relate to other people better and it may help me help other people more. Mm-hmm. And so in that regard, I care. Yeah. But also like it, whatever is said to me is going to go through a pretty severe filtration process before I decide to internalize any of it. Yeah. I mean, that strikes me as like a sign of the growth mindset versus like a fixed mindset of mm. like, I'm always looking to find out more yes. or like, all information is just information about my world, the world and my experience of it. Yes. And I'll never know the full truth. I can only know more or less of it. Yeah. And and there's a very like, I think of it as a very mindful, like in terms of the mindfulness practices, uh, view of emotions that way, that emotions are kind of like uh, your other physical senses, like, mm-hmm. you know, touch and taste and smell are information about the world that you are, in, you are interacting with in that moment. Mm-hmm. And your emotions are kind of no different. They are information about the world that you are interacting with in that moment. And yeah. all of these things are sending information back to your brain. It needs to be filtered and categorized. Sometimes it gets miscategorized. And like the more you can have this kind of acceptance, I'm going to observe this information and mm-hmm. then, you know, kind of come yeah. to an awareness and understanding or an act, make an action plan. Like I, I like that as a concept of emotions because it allows you to remove the kind of good, bad. It just is. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I hear you saying that. And you, when you talk about what other people think of you, like mm-hmm. it just is like it's good or bad. It just is. I take it in and then I have to decide what to do with it or what right. I'm going to do a you know, if I'm going to do anything about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it does allow you to bring it in. Yeah. Versus like a fixed mindset, you know, often this gets discussed in, in academic or school environments. Um, but like a fixed mindset, usually then like once you've decided about something, then that is the way it is. And so information that goes counter to it, you would then reject because right. yeah. That would require you to change, you know, your understanding, your perspective of something. Mm-hmm. I have a pretty mutable, like, I, I think I'm pretty mutable. I think like, like Ned and I say a lot, like we have a pretty loose grip on what we 
want to assert reality is. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Or like, like, like strong beliefs weekly we, held. Yeah. Strong yeah. beliefs weekly held. It's like I, I, I have lots of beliefs around like the way the world works and I try to hold on to them loosely because if mm-hmm. new information comes along, I don't want to give myself the wrong tools. Like, you yeah. know, it's new information, man. It's come to light. Some new shit has come to light. Man. She kidnapped herself. <laughs> Had that not occurred to you, dude? Yeah, what was the there's a thing about uh the scientist uh requires facts without belief and the bigot uh has belief without oh. facts. Yeah. <laughs> and so like but I love that idea of like like trying to get rid of belief because we often we all have yeah. things that we believe in sure but like is it a belief that's loosely held yeah like is it a belief that can be that like mm-hmm. i'm i'm a fan of shit that works whether i believe in it or not right like exactly. i don't want to have to hold yeah. the like think of all the energy it takes for me to like if i have to believe that this water is going to be wet every right. time or it's not yeah, i'm just so like it's so exhausting yeah um mm-hmm. and so i just that carries off into everything. I'm like, I don't want to have to sit around believing in things for them to be true. Yeah. It's just, also I think a lot of unhappiness is the result of the friction between what people's expectations, i.e. beliefs are and what actually happens in the world. And it's like, if you, I mean, I'm a fan of disappointment. Believe me. We got you your favorite thing. (laughs) Well, I mean the Buddhist principle that like just all suffering, disappointment is the root of all suffering. Yeah. Or I'm sorry. Desire is desire, the root of yes. all suffering. Which is similar, right? Similar, like, yeah. 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 That's about what right. you want. I mean, but that's what disappointment what is, is, right? Yeah. It's like I wanted, I desired this to be different. Yeah. yeah. Um, I we know someone in common um, who um, wh- has a therapist, and the therapist said to this person, um, "You have regrets about these things because you want to believe that you had any power to do this differently in the first place and to mm-hmm. avoid the situation that you're in now." Right. And you didn't. Right. So you shouldn't regret because yeah. You're taking responsibility for having failed to change something that you couldn't have changed in the first place. And that's because most of us were brought up in a society that uh feeds us the lie of individualism. Yep. Mm-hmm. And promises us this false promise that if we can get good enough at controlling things, we will be able to manage our experience in life. Mm-hmm. And therefore, it's great. And I say this with as much sarcasm. And I'm, that's why I'm <laughs> labeling it because I just don't think my voice can express how much sarcasm. It's great because then when things don't go the way you want, it's your fault. Right. Because right. yes. you didn't control it enough. Right. Yeah. And if you've just done more control in that situation. If you've situation. just been better mm-hmm. as yep. a man. Yes. Clearly. As a man. Right. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, or a human, you know. Yes. Yeah. Right. You've just been better. What's mm-hmm. the difference, men, humans? I mean, equivalent. Speaking of default <laughs> yes, assumption, like right. that is the yes. normal gender, and yep. everything else is a gender minority. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Not um, even worth discussing, really. I mean, I mean, you know. Well, I mean, only <laughs> if we're talking about academically interesting. Right. Yeah, academically <laughs> interesting in terms of those marginal experiences <laughs> that are outside the norm. Uh, like, if you want to talk about the ends of the bell curve, we could talk mm-hmm. about it. I but mean, I guess. Sure. Since that's not most people, why would we talk about it? <laughs> I feel like I should just. Put I want to see an overlay of like actual gender distribution, like in a bell curve, versus like like whatever the male experience is, right? Mm. Like, men are, are actually the minority. Right. There right. are less and you just, men like, than every other gender. How disparate yeah. it is between those all two of the others put together. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 
I want to like I think I want to put um I want to have some address labels made. Yeah. And like Meg at the far shore comma like uh upper end of the bell curve. Upper yeah, right. <laughs> end of the bell curve. <laughs> Why don't you just say tail? Like don't tail. limit yourself. You could be a yeah. tail end of the either bell end. Yeah. 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 Upper yeah. end or lower. Outer, outer limits. Right. Either way, curve. you're on a tail. What yeah. are the what are the way um the dividers? It's a uh, sixty six point nine. But they have a term for how many T-score? sigmas. Or oh, standard deviations. Standard yes. deviations. Yeah, you should look just at put us going through the statistics. I, statistics. Yes. I know. Yeah. I was like Meg and I have. Yeah, you'd be like three standard deviations from center or something. Yeah. Like yes. Yeah. Yeah, some, which means you're in, you know. Yeah. No. Less than one percent of yeah. the of the. Uh, um, Oh, now I can't think of what the name is for everything under the bell curve. Distribution. distribution. Less than 1% yes. of the distribution. Yes. I, it's so oh, there funny. you go. Meg, less than 1% of the distribution. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yep. Have all of them. Rotate just them. use a less than symbol. Yeah. yeah so, just use yeah. like, you the, know. Yeah. The um, less than. I always get the less than more than mixed up in my head. Mm-hmm. It points towards the smaller thing. I, the only way I was able to remember it is it looks like an alligator eating the larger number. Yeah, uh-huh. see, exactly. Yep. It points towards the smaller thing or it gobbles up the... I knew... As yeah. soon as I said that, I was like, the other one the is other gobbles one, up. The other I one, yeah. the same like, little green drawing of an alligator uh-huh. too and I'm like, I put the mouth that way. <laughs> 1% no gobbles up Meg? Uh-huh. How, how far away do you want to get for this concept? Right. I don't know. <laughs> Mic- microwave. And built-in, built-in microwave. Built-in microwave. <laughs> feature creep let's do it uh, uh that came full circle quite nicely mm-hmm. what uh what else can we say what else can you tell us about being a, a sexuality educator well what are your favorite parts about it <laughs> um i do speaking uh this ties back into my comment about loving kid logic and your comment about talking to other kids about what you'd heard from your mom yeah, so here's the deal <laughs> yeah so here's the deal i actually love asking adults um, cause it just feels more appropriate than the relation, the relationship and the power dynamic I have between the person I'm talking to about sex feels more appropriate when it's adult peer to peer. So asking people, what misconception did you have about sex? And often I'm specifically kind of looking for something around like, what concept did you not know or understand that you f- had to fill in an instance of? So like ah. a great example is somebody who didn't know what French kissing was. <laughs> but because the thing I love about kid logic is that like logic is fundamental to the human brain. People who have brain injuries or are in any way that we would call like mentally disabled or insane, they still have logic. In fact, that's part of what sort of makes them quote unquote insane is that their logic is still functioning even though the information they're basing it on either isn't the full picture and the same is true of kid logic like they've observed the world based on what they know they've come to a conclusion based on the observation observations they've had and they come to then a conclusion and it is logical they just don't have all the information right and so this person didn't know what french kissing was and so um no I've spoiled the punchline. This person didn't know what oral sex was. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's what it was. Cause they were in a sex ed class and they asked, they even asked like, you know, and of course their coach was teaching coach what's oral sex. And oh. it's like, don't be funny. Oh, oh. Lewis or whatever, or whatever the last, whatever. Don't be funny. Johnson. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. and it's like, 
they were like, I, I really actually don't know. And so they, when they went through the logic of it at like, you know, whatever, 12, they thought it was probably French kissing. Sure. Because sex, they knew that sex involved like this, like going inside of somebody else's body. Uh-huh. Yeah. So what's a type of kissing? Like something you do with your mouth yes. where you're going inside of somebody else's body. Yep. Probably they mean French kissing. That's and fantastic. you're like, oh man, oral sex is way different than that. Uh-huh. But I love <laughs> that that's what you came up with. Right. Yeah. yeah. That makes a lot of sense to me. I, I mean, like, that's like the peen thing. Like yeah. that's a concept that I hear from a lot of people. They're like, yeah, I guess I kind of just assumed that the person with the penis peed inside the other person because that's the only thing I knew that like came out of a penis. Right. Right. Like <laughs> that is logical yep. sure. for the information yes. you had at the time. Right. Yeah. I yeah, I've just like rummaged in my mental grab mm-hmm. bag of like facts about uh-huh. like the world. How people yeah. pee. I'm like, it must be it must be that. Yeah. What that's else what is it about- useful for? I mean Right. Clearly. And because we often give kids uh, details without context, when I would argue they often actually want the context without details. Most little kids don't actually care about penis and vagina and sperm and egg. Like they just want roughly a concept because that's a blank spot in their mind. And so they just want to be able to put in a rough sketch outline. Mm -hmm. And so you're like, you know, people with this body part and people with this body part do, you know, do some activities together and that's what can cause a baby. And then like, they can always ask for what activities. Okay. Well, it's a thing people called sex. Mm -hmm. Like, do you want to know more about it? And most kids will be like, "Mm, maybe, maybe not. Right. I want to go outside. Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's not as interesting as I thought it would be. Right. Exactly. I'm out. Like, Like, Oh, it's, it's weird body things. Like whatever body stuff. Yeah. Body stuff. Who cares? Yeah, that's the other thing about uh, like I like to live in a bubble where it's just me. Mm-hmm. And so I like I don't uh, I being in a room full of huggy people is kind of a nightmare. <laughs> for me. Yes. Is this where we like are like back to consent? Yes. Kind of like yeah. it push it gets me to a point where I'm like I feel like I just have to walk around with my hand out in front of me like no. Mm-hmm. Just, I mean in a lot of spaces you kind of do because people don't have a Con- an internalized concept of, of consent that you get to control your body. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. So I like that's another reason that I avoid like interactions with just people in general is because right. like I just it makes me feel like. Oh, God, sometimes it makes me just feel like I want to pass out like people getting in my little like space bubble. I'm like, all the oxygen is getting sucked out of here. Oh. <laughs> I mean, the point I was going to make earlier when you were talking about your turrets and your moat was I was going to kind of say, like, if we had a healthier, respectful, like communal understanding of identity, you I would argue you probably wouldn't feel like you needed those turrets and moats. I think you're right. Yes, I see what you're saying. And that's why I asked, like, if your experiences with people were less painful, but like pain is like a really big sensation that has lots of sub like irritation is a type of pain yeah. Yeah. we often don't think yeah. of it that way sure. right. but like anxiety is kind of a type of pain yes. we don't really like think of it that way but yes yeah. yes totally yeah other people make me very anxious uh other people make me anxious because i feel like at any point i'm at some point in the future on a long enough timeline i'm going to be asked to take a position on something and my considered position will probably piss a lot of people off um and also like a lot of people don't have considered positions on things i mean so like i don't want to sound like somebody who has to like make my own point but like because i think concepts like identity and consent are so critical Mm -hmm. like your experiences with other people are painful because other people 
do not are not interested in your in your identity, your personal identity, mm-hmm. the story you tell yourself about yourself. They're not interested in that. Yep. And they will forcefully enforce their concept about your identity, the fact you want to hug yes. without your consent. 100%. Mm-hmm. I agree with everything you said. You said it so well. Yeah. Yeah. That's and that's exactly why it. I think sexuality and education will change, could change the world. Like yes. if these are concepts we taught people from like five years old. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. hey, what if we took it, we took a concept and we're like, hey, uh, we recognize that it's really hard for people to navigate consent in sexual relationships, particularly in their teens and young adults. And one piece of that is that they don't know how they don't know always, not in every case, but often they don't necessarily know what they are and aren't okay with. Yeah. They don't know how to express what they are and aren't okay with. And they don't know how to hear what somebody else is and isn't okay with because mm-hmm. then they will have an emotional response and have to manage it. Right. So we could take one little piece of that, the last one, and we could teach little kids what to do and how to manage their own feelings and not in a shamey, like, don't be mad way, but like, how do you actually feel? Where do you feel it in your body when somebody doesn't want to play with them on the playground? Right. Mm. They are not 180 or 250 pounds. Like they are not like a ball of, of hormones and trying to figure out social rules and dynamics and their own sense of self-worth. Like, like we could take this concept that is literally a life skill and we could try to teach it to people when the stakes are so much lower. Not that people not wanting to play with you doesn't feel like the end of the world when you're five. Right. But it's probably a lot easier for you to learn how to manage it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have this, um, like distinct memory. I mean, one thing I always, especially when I walk, watch young kids, I appreciate um, their like, like their emotional regulation. Right. Yeah. Because where it's like, I relate so much to some of it where it's like, you know, they spill their milk and it's just like the world's ending and the just they're screaming. I wanted the cookie to not be broken. That's my favorite kid tantrum. Like I just want the cookie to not be broken. You're like, I get it. And I used to think I'm like, is there something wrong with me that I enjoy watching kids have tantrums? And the reality is I don't actually enjoy them watching have a tantrum. Especially like if I watched it a lot, I'd be like, oh my God, like this is going to have to do It's loud. But from time to time, I appreciate it because I realize it's like that's that raw Mm -hmm. signal that you're getting in your own being that it's like I've, as I've gotten older, I've learned, you know, the male way, which is you just tamp that down all the way to the bottom and you never express any of it. Oh, you mean the right way. The right way. Yes. I I said male. Did I not? Yeah. Okay, good. Glad we're on the same. Your crushed feelings are the bedrock of who you are. Exactly. Um, they're a foundation upon which we build very, very stable identities. Right. <laughs> Just all that shifting, crushed up yeah. gravel down there. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. And I think that's strong that's, buildings. I, I've also noticed lately, like as I've been more aware of that and like thinking about the way mm-hmm. like my own, like how I process my own emotions and how I feel about them and, and try to handle them in ways that maybe work or don't. But um, I have sometimes I have these dreams that kind of crack me up uh they kind of crack me up in the dream um because the like something will happen and my emotional response to it is (gasps) so disparate from Mm -hmm. what happened and it kind of just cracks me up it's like some kind of mildly joyous event happened and now i'm just the saddest most depressed feeling Mm -hmm. i've ever had or like you know some like really terrible thing happened and then i'm just like 
like melancholy and then I'm suddenly like hysterical and like mm-hmm. just the because you know your brain's just kind of just doing its thing when you're yeah. sleeping and um and that really kind of like helped me get to a place where I was like yeah like those raw feelings that you have are not they're not what I was taught when I grew up which was that like everything's logical and if you just keep it that way <laughs> like the feelings you don't have to deal like those yep. are a byproduct of some stupid biology and if they bother you just don't have them Right. right. When um, now we actually have more science that says that that is a hundred percent wrong. Mm-hmm. Like I can, like there's real science on yeah. this that says you that is wrong say. in every way, right. which right. we're all not surprised by. Yeah. And yet again, like we could teach people things based on science. Like we could teach young yes. kids how emotions actually right. work. Yeah. We right. don't know everything, but we know some of it. And yeah. we know that that concept is 100% wrong. Yeah. And you tell people that and they're like, Sure, maybe for other people, but I'm really logical. And you're like, uh, here's a thought experiment. Do you think that someone with zero emotions can make decisions? They can't. No. They can't. And there's evidence yeah. of this, like people who've had brain injuries or other things like that no longer experience emotions. They cannot make decisions. Right. Our decisions are based, our, the thing we base our lo- quote unquote logic on mm-hmm is information about the world. And if we go back to that concept, like your information about the world is built from your physical and emotional sensations. Right. Right. I, it's one of the things, um, I thought a lot about when I was younger, I was really into artificial intelligence and read a lot about Mm. the research and things like that. And I, um, I always thought that there's people like my dad who are just like, you know, Spock is the epitome of a perfect human, (laughs) um, where it's just like, you know, just emotions are not helpful. They're not helping anybody. And I always thought, well, that's because emotions are feminine and logic is masculine. I was going to make that point as well. So that's why emotions are are useless. Yeah. Logic. (laughs) That's masculine. That's what's real. And emotions are feminine. I.e. what's made up. Did you guys watch that, um, episode of Amy Schumer, the 12 angry men? No, but Amy Schumer has some very good stuff. So I highly recommend it, but there's this moment where, um, so like the whole premise is that the question is whether or not she's, I I can't remember if it's like fuckable. fuckable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 And she's on trial and it's like, all. and so like (laughs) there's 12 angry men (laughs) arguing about whether she's fuckable or not. Mm -hmm. And, um, and at some point somebody says something and somebody else is like, Women don't need orgasms. That's just science. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, it's just it's like all of the all of the cliches like Mm -hmm. out of everybody's mouth. It's such a good Yeah, and all of the twelve angry men are other like um comedians. Yes, like famous comedians. Yeah. Yeah. And so they're all sitting in the room like arguing over and like Oh God, it's so funny. And then somebody will come in, like most everybody's agreeing on the the binary choice mm-hmm. of like, is she or is she not? She, right. Right, it's right. only yes or no. And then there's like one person, uh, like somebody in the room will say something that's completely outside <laughs> of that dynamic. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And everybody's confused by it. Yeah, like, that doesn't even make sense. <laughs> right, what? Yes. No, no, we're trying to figure out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think at some point it resolves with the discussion of reasonable chub. No. Like it's really, yes. it goes like, it just gets wow. really deep. Um, really and quickly accurate and accurate. Yes. Yeah. It's really, it's, it's scathingly good. Um, yeah, was there more to your story about Spock being the pinnacle oh, of humans? Yes. Sorry. So, um, way to keep us on track. So with the artificial intelligence, I, I always thought like the thing that's missing is like, especially in movies and stuff, I'm like, like you guys, where's the motivation? Right. Right. 
like every like everybody understands like and that's where the fear like one of the big fears of artificial intelligence is the um like the paperclip machine where it's like you make this like hyper smart robot I don't know this okay i th- i think it's paperclip i it yeah it's anyway okay. the example is basically um the fear is that we create this artificial intelligence it's really smart it convinces us that it wants to help humanity mm-hmm. but somewhere down in its core is one fundamental focus which is to make paper clips <laughs> and so what happens is it gets so smart that it figures out that the biggest roadblock is all these humans means, wanting to right. do other shit right. and so it convinces all of us all this great stuff and as soon as it gets overpowered it converts the entire universe to paper clips right. like as quickly as it can, can. and that's the that's wiping the f- out human existence yeah of and that's the fear that people have and i'm like and i watch these like a lot of these um uh, there was a recent one that was like kind of a, um, like a limited release science fiction film. I was going to say that's uh, the, a the lot background of, of almost yeah. any science fiction but that most involves of them, artificial intelligence. I'm like either the either the like the sort of dystopian artificial intelligent robot entity that they create is way over ascribed to human like motivations, which I'm like, why? Like right. it's killing people motivations in these weird are like desire. Like they yes. are um, right, right, or. It's like none of it makes sense because they. I'm like you. So what you're saying is it's going to be like a human, but only a psychopath right. who's going to murder people. Right. Or it doesn't have any emotions, and and then it co- sort of kills us outright out of out of the desi- out of the need to fulfill some algorithm or something. And none of those really hit home for me. Yeah. Where I'm yes. like, if you, we already have models of what we perceive to be intelligence or consciousness. Mm-hmm. And presumably the whole goal of artificial intelligence is to replicate that or to somehow further extend that. Yep. So then what is this other stuff that you guys are talking about? Yes. Like none of that makes... It doesn't hold up. It doesn't yeah. hold up to any of the... Like we have people who are psychopaths in our in our society and like we've had various murders and things. And yes, I get that. And but there's, there's such a tiny, there's such tiny, a tiny percentage. Yeah. And when you look at their lives, like... There are so many people who kind of meet that same space mm-hmm. who don't go around killing people. Right. Yeah. Like they don't have the same social, like they don't have the same motivations or the same kind of mm-hmm. general desire for like internal chemistry of like meeting emotional needs. Yeah. I mean, that's the other thing that you're yeah. talking about is like that we kind of, we always sort of talk about serial killers as being like broken and it's yeah. kind of like, actually they're closer to us than you'd think. Like right. they are trying to meet a physical chemical need in their brain by and right. large, which all of the rest of us are doing. Yeah. It's just the way they go about it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I just feel like that I, I feel like there's just a really like fundamental disconnect where it's like, there's a lot of people in tech where they really idolize the sort of Spock mm. pathway. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm like, you're, you're doing it wrong. Yep. You want to write a good. You want to write a good artificial intelligence. Like you're going to have to get on with the motivation part of it. Yeah, it's going to have to have a rich inner life, or it's never going to want to do anything. Right. And those are the artificial stories I find the most interesting. Yeah. Like, and I remember watching Star Trek: The Next Generation. Uh huh. Like, fantastic. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Which like started coming on when I was like eight, and my mom had loved the original series, so like we watched it, and then mm-hmm. like watched it into my teens and then like in my 20s like things were on dvd and like you could rewatch things so like i feel like i have this experience with this for most of my life but as long as far back as i can remember i remember finding the data question 
laugh, like funny, yes. like ridiculous. Because right. er, yeah. the question is always like, is will Data ever learn to be human and get emotions? And I'm like, he clearly already does. Yes. Yeah. He has a cat that he seems attached to. He has friends that he desires to hang out with. Right. He has hobbies that he gets enjoyment out of. Like, he has emotions. Right. Like, yes. all of these things. Like, in making this person interesting. Yeah. It is not possible without emotions. Like, right. you, he may speak right. in a funny way and say he doesn't feel things. But, like, why? Like you say, the motivation. Why would he do things? Right. Yeah. There's no. Is it If it's truly random, like, right. what keeps him going back? And then. Right. That brings up another interesting question about the link between behavior and feeling. Mm-hmm. And so, like, fine, it's truly random. But if you do it over other things often enough. That's a choice. That's a choice. And at that point, does that not become a form of desire? Yes. Right. Because even if the quote unquote desire or feeling is to be consistent, it's still, again, a type of desire. Yeah. Like in the relationship world, like more like relationship counseling, there is this like self getting to know question like often for a couple of like is love a feeling or an action Hmm. and that often can also get i've seen also people who are more academic split it along cultural lines so is it are you from a culture that has like arranged marriage that often views like love is the fact that you live with this person and you come home to this person and you share finances with this person every day for 30 or 40 or 50 years right and that 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 love is essentially the function of those actions Mm -hmm. versus like a more quote unquote Western view where love isn't a feeling like this chemical response we have to have. And if we don't have this chemical experience, we're not in love. And of course the truth mm -hmm. is I think it's somewhere in the middle Sure, and there's always a connection. Like our actions affect how we feel about things, but yeah, all of those things, right? Like, yeah, yeah, all of those things can have that. Um, Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. Um, I, I find, so the I think the term sapiosexual definitely applies to me. Yes, I'm pretty sure it does. Clearly, uh-huh. like, do you guys like explain to people what things mean? Like, is that something you want to explain oh, to yeah. our listeners? No, we should. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I try absolutely. to be conscious that the other people are listening to this and provide context. I, I saw a, te- a screenshot of a text message one time that, and the one person said, "I'm a sapiosexual," and the other person said, "Uh, like something like." That's great. What does that mean? Uh, you can look it up because I'm done explaining it. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought that was. I mean, so yes, funny. there's that too. Yeah. Um, so the <laughs> the the term means somebody like I cannot be. I can't sleep with people if they say things that seem dumb or uninformed or mm-hmm. belligerent or like. Harmful. Harmful or like, so my attraction to people often starts out on an intellectual level. And like, I don't really care what the form, the formal version of that person is, like what their shape is or like what equipment they come equipped with doesn't like, that's not even really a consideration. Right. Like the primary thing is, do I find you like fascinating? Mm -hmm. And if I do, and you are fascinating in a way that I'm not like repulsed by, like I'm also fascinated by serial killers, but like, I don't want to get anywhere near (laughs) them. I mean, you could sleep people also. I mean, the idea that we only sleep with people that we like love or even are like have quote unquote positive feelings for is also totally wrong. Yes, it is totally wrong. I, there's been a lot of forays into territory with people I 
have yeah. considered nemeses. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, in order for me to have like a fulfilling relationship with someone and like remain attracted to them, they it's more of an intellectual thing than it is a physical thing. And often I've heard sapiosexual talked about at the same time as demisexual. And the distinction I've usually heard is that sapiosexual means that in order to be sexually interested or have a sexual experience, um, which remember can be with yourself, um, Lauren's public service announcement. Um, but in order to have that, you need to have an intellectual, uh, connection or attraction is how it's often Mm -hmm. phrased. And demisexual is usually the way I've heard it most often described is in order to have a sexual experience that remember can be with yourself. Um, you need to have an emotional connection or attachment. Yep. I definitely do not need an emotional. Right. And that's why there's two different, because people are like, why do you have all these new words for types of sexuality? And it's like, because they're different. Because we want to talk about it. Because right. life is not just a brick. <laughs> right. And because <laughs> words, words matter. Right. Yes. Right. Yeah. Words do matter. Yeah. So, um, boy, if you don't know that, you're just missing out. Yeah. yeah. And like, I guess if I'm in a PSA, like I feel like two other concepts that I, I see people have real self-confliction or pain around not understanding is aromantic and asexual. So mm-hmm. many people have heard asexual. Often people call it ace. Um, people in the community, um, cause how people want to be called matters. Yes. Um, yes. also really matters. Um, so ace is, is, you know, kind of, we think of asexual as like people who often, this is how it's explained, people who don't have sexual, um, experience or feelings. And that kind of implies for others. Like yeah. I, I would argue you still can have a relationship with yourself and you, and that may mean you don't want to be touched in ways that you find arousing, mm-hmm. but it is still a relationship with yourself. And then you can have a romantic, which are people who experience sexual feelings or desire, whether they act on them or not, but they aren't interested in having romantic experiences. Uh-huh. And I know a number of people that like when they finally heard that, like in their thirties, forties and fifties were like, Oh my God, my whole life I have felt like there's something wrong with me because I, I mean, that's how a lot of people experience marginalized identities is Mm -hmm. like, I feel like there's something wrong with me because I clearly don't fit the quote unquote norm. Right, (laughs) right. right. I mean, or we could just say Ned. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Don't you think Dan is probably, (laughs) Dan's like the real standard. Dan is the standard. Yeah. Fuck you guys. Fuck you guys. Um, that like, yeah, there's something wrong with me. And it's like, no, like. I've often thought like you, yeah. hearing you talk about that a little bit, especially on the idea of like there's all these new words and ways to discuss it. Yeah. I think a lot of the people who get most upset about it are the reason they're upset about it is because they're like, I already have the two boxes. Why do I have to have <laughs> yes. 15 more? And the, then the yeah. other joke I was going to say is like when you're talking about somebody like identifying with one one or the other or something like those people are like, well, what what box do I put you in? And it's right. like, if you don't, then we're good. Like, you, it's much easier mm-hmm. if you just don't worry about it. Because sometimes you might find that people move through all of those not sometimes experiences, like, like mostly, mostly. And I say probably everybody has their own journey. Yeah. yeah. And the idea that you're one of those things, like, oh, I was born and I was a, I, as I like to pronounce it, asexual. 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 <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> Bad joke. Uh, anyway, the like it's not. It's funnier in writing. It's funnier in it writing. Funnier. It's funnier in writing. Yes. Yeah, right. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah. I mean, you just can't. I like the idea. Like, it's that same problem where it's like people really want. And I think this is where I I understand that there's 
as a human, I want to have a model of the universe in yes. my mind so that I can predict what's going to happen. That's back to logic. It never yeah. stops functioning. The right. brain is yeah. hardwired to find patterns. And it yep. really fucks it up for you when you try to apply it to people <laughs> who aren't ever going to fit into that model. I mean, I think yeah. the sentence is maybe just a little too long. Yes. It really fucks it up. Yeah, it really period. fucks I mean, it up, like, period. Kind of in yes. any way, in some way or another, for all of us at some time or another, that desire to to have a picture of the world has fucked it up for us. Yeah. Yeah. But I, yes, I find yeah. that, I agree with your larger point. Thank also. You, thank you. <laughs> I find that in terms of what I, what I most, if I had to summarize the, the biggest like friction that I have with the experience of being alive in the world, it's that ex- we like to call that the human condition. The human condition. <laughs> you guys, we are so lucky to be in the human condition with each other. With each other. <laughs> Um, uh, my big beef with like pretty much everything can be summed up by the fact that I am so uh, the problem always boils down to you're putting shit in the wrong box and we, why do we even have these boxes? Why do we even have these right. boxes? Yes. Like, you well, know, where's it going to go? Yes, just I just had where so, just leave right. it where it was. <laughs> where it was. Like, oh, but I'm going to use that. But I'm, totally. so just what leave you're it saying where it was. Is, yeah, like, I'm just going to put it here, though. No, that's not. That's you just, can't put it in there because then you're not putting it everywhere else. Okay, so over here then. No, because that's also a one place and not everywhere. It's like, come on, dude. Yeah. Take it's, only pictures and leave only footprints. Like, right. Leave <gasps> it for the next person. Just, just you don't, don't touch it. To, you don't have to own and overpower everything. You don't have to pick it and put it in a in a box. Yeah. You don't have to reduce it to something. You can just have thoughts and let them go. Mm-hmm. You can just be around other people and let them go too. I mean, and I think a concept that totally underscores all of this when you're talking about other people is like another pithy phrase I have that I didn't make up all of these are things I've collected from other people <laughs> is like hurt people, hurt people. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And so like people who have been hurt by the boxes they were put into or the boxes they weren't allowed to be put into or just the whole messiness that is boxes yes. are sometimes that means they're going to be more likely to hurt other people around the very same issues. Yeah. On the yeah. subject of punctuation, mm-hmm. hurt people, comma, hurt people, period, <laughs> or hurt people, comma, hurt people, exclamation point. Uh-huh. <laughs> One is like, or let's just be messy, inf- hurt, comma, people. Hurt, right. Comma, people? Yes. <laughs> Anyone? Anyone? <laughs> I have to pee. Now, if we're going to laugh more, I need oh, to. Oh, actually, I was gonna, if you can wait two seconds, we oh, can sure. just wrap up. We're yeah. well over um, our uh, usual time. Yeah, we usually, Well, there was a freebie uh, for your audience yeah. that I have a bladder and sometimes I use it. <laughs> oh. oh, personal information coming out. Mm-hmm. I'm shocked. I'm bad at boundaries. I did not expect to hear this today. (laughs) Um, Okay. So usually the way we wrap up our podcast is we try to do um, our last segment. You never told me the rules. Yes. All the strict rules. So we have colors of the day. Oh, um, yes. And so excited about that actually. Yes. So since we're a design art and design podcast, um, Oh, these are good. Oh, I didn't realize this is what uh, the colors of the day were. Okay. Yeah. So um, the colors of the day, uh, usually where they come from, um, you have to go pee. We'll do that on another podcast. It's okay. There's a generate colors button. So I'm assuming they come from that button. Yes, they do. Well, actually, where they come from (laughs) is um, our research department. Oh, Uh, yeah. Does Dana put this together? Yeah. Dana Dana usually collates all of the colors. She oversees the team. Yeah, she oversees the the team. Yeah. So the colors of today, if you want to read the first color and then um, 
I'll guide you through it. But sure. Yeah. Sarcastic has been. Yeah. So how would you describe that color? Um, it's kind of a tomato color okay. in the red yep. family and, and with a little orange undertones and a touch of pink. Nice. Mm-hmm. Nice. Good well job. Done. Yeah. So uh, if you're listening to this and this is your first time, we're going to give you a hexadecimal number, which looks sounds like a hashtag. And we'll give you that number. And if you pop that in Google, you'll be able to see the color exactly represented the same. So if you type in E as in echo, yeah. three, four, five, three, seven. Yeah. So actually hashtag. Oh, yes. Sorry. Hashtag. Yeah. Yes. It was already said. Hashtag E three, four, five, three, seven. Yeah. And so the complementary color for our uh, what, what are we calling it? Uh, sarcastic has been. Yeah, yeah. Sarcastic has been. And then uh, what is our other complementary color is elegant sync. Okay, and how would you describe that color? I would say that is uh, kind of a Caribbean blue. Some okay. people mm. call it, uh, I know some people call this like a teal, but I think that would be too dark. It's darker than a robin's egg and lighter than a teal. Nice. So, uh, all right. And what is the, uh, what's the hexadecimal? hexadecimal hashtag yeah. one C as in Charlie, B as in Bravo, A as in Alpha, C as in Charlie, eight. Nice. Great job. All right. So uh, thank you for listening. As always, we'd love to hear from you. You can email our executive assistant, Dana. That's mm-hmm. D-A-N-A at fcbm.io. Um, I think that's it. Do you have any closing thoughts, Lauren? This was great. Yeah. Yay! Thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> yeah, this was a lot of really fun. really enjoyed having you as a guest of the realm. Yes. Okay, Meg. Uh, I, I think that's it. Okay. 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 Bye. Bye. Bye.